Kochi on Outcomes the Sun podcast. And we are, I think this is our seventh, correct? Is that right? It is. Lucky seven. It's our seventh. Yes. Our lucky number seven with, and our, our guest today is super special to me, a super good friend. His name is Chase Hughes, and he is a behavioral expert in behavioral health, but really about the brain. And, and he's an incredible man because he has a Okay, I'm going to get this all wrong, but you have a PhD or an MBA, something crazy, big old, you know, titles. When and in neuroscience from Harvard, come on, come on, guy, it's just like too much. It's too much. You went back years later, and you and you did that. I think you did that over COVID, which is really bizarre. Wow. Anyway, he's an incredible man. He has an amazing. Uh, you have a behavioral health show on YouTube. You've got 600,000 followers um, there and and doing some really intriguing, interesting stuff. But for our purposes, when it comes to mental health, I think that what your insight into behavior really will have a great impact on mental health and the understanding of mental health. And and I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Melissa, to, to kind of get the conversation started. Okay. First of all, Chase, it's a huge honor. I've been, I've done a little background work on research on some of the stuff you've written and some of your videos and interviews that you've had. And I was, I it, candidly and honestly, I was a little bit late coming in today because I was still so spellbound by some of the stuff you were sharing. A couple oh, of points you. you made that I found so intriguing. I, I, Meryl and I both on different times have spoken with a lot of young people. And I think there's, there's constantly outside of people who already feel this way as adults, some of our young people come in often feel helpless about how to take control of their lives. And you brought up some really fascinating points recently on something, or I don't know how recent, forgive me, but that you had shared on understanding the three parts of you, the past, present, and future. And then understanding, relating that to what depression is, and then that art of discipline with past, present, and future, and how to, to put your life back into your control. I would love if you could share some of that with our audience. Yeah, I would love to. And thanks for the great intro. Thanks for having me on. This is so cool. <laughs> I'm on a podcast with actually one of my friends and not a uh, like a podcast host I don't really know very well. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I believe discipline, it, I can sum up discipline in a single sentence. And that's the ability to prioritize the needs of your future self ahead of your own needs in the moment. And that that bleeds into everything, how we spend money, how we spend time, what we eat, what we drink, what we do with our bodies. Everything goes down to that. Can I am I able to prioritize the needs of my future self? The longest study that's ever been done on success and successful people uh, was done by Harvard. And they found out the number one determining factor in success, you can measure it in first grade, even whether or not that kid's going to be successful is the ability to delay gratification. And that ability is what gives people, I'm going to just push a little bit further into my, my priorities are going to go from here on the timeline, which is right now. I'm just going to push that to the right a little bit. My priorities are just shifting to the right. And and that doesn't mean like I'm thinking 10 years down the road necessarily, which of course you are, but I'm thinking about tomorrow. 
So like before I go to bed, I'm getting the coffee ready for me. I'm laying out an outfit for future me. All the things that I'm doing are preparing. So my morning, it's as if I had my own butler who had all of this stuff ready. So I get up and instead of looking backwards to the past with regret or being pissed off at myself, I'm, I'm looking backwards with gratitude. I'm looking forwards with concern. Tell me why you uh, look forward with concern. Because concern can be like a worry, right? Right. I'm saying uh, concern, meaning I'm more concerned with future me than I am with the needs of myself right now. So and you're you're people, you're yeah. anticipating the future, the needs of the future you, correct? Yes. Right. Okay. That's that's super interesting. Now. Do you think some of these behavioral tools can be helpful in the balance of, 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 of our mental health? Absolutely. Because one thing that most people never will do in their life, maybe until they watch something like this, is just kind of make a mental map of where my, where's my dopamine coming from. And wherever your dopam- you're getting dopamine, I'm like sitting on this all day long, Right. Or you're browsing the internet all day. That becomes a dopamine source. And we start to understand where the dopamine is coming from. We get a little bit of a better grip on our own steering wheel. And I think there's some ways we can start reprogramming our dopamine. Just just doing small favors for yourself is great. Doing long-term surprises for yourself. Uh, We're about to start uh, winter right now. So maybe I'll take one of my summer swimsuits and I'll stick a hundred dollar bill in the pocket of it that I will absolutely, I won't remember it. And then I'll find it in the summer and it'll be a gift from me. It's a gift from past. (laughs) It's me. I love that. I want to spend my time giving future me gifts. So how can I develop a relationship And if we really want to get into this on the deep level, we want to train the animal part of our brain, the lower part of our brain that makes the emotions. It doesn't process a whole lot of logical thought. We want to get that part involved. And no amount of meditation and repeating phrases can do that because that part of the brain has zero capacity for language. So, I mean, something as simple like I have one-on-one clients that I, I take on like three to five clients a year. But one of the things I make them do is download like a $3 app on your phone that makes you look like a 99-year-old person. It, it, make, it ages you and, and or uses AI <laughs> to age you like crazy. Print that out and put it on your fridge if you're trying to eat better. Put it on, the, put it on your headboard for a few <laughs> weeks. Just so you have it, you're showing the animal now. Now I have a mental relationship with that person because I can see them. We can't see our future self, but the moment we start conceptualizing it and thinking about future me on a very regular basis, our, our dopamine starts to change by giving ourselves, uh, giving our future self gifts and doing but, nice things. So I have to interrupt because, whoa, I did that totally sent me into a tailspin of like, Oh, I'm not going there. I don't want an ugly old picture of myself. Now, does that, train you to create dopamine so that you can avoid the aging process? I mean, because to me, that's a negative image. Like, you know, you know how how you've heard, oh, well, if you want to change the way you eat, you put a picture of, 
you know, instead you do the opposite, right? You do the most beautiful photo of yourself or the person you'd like to look like. So why is that working for this animal brain? Uh, Our animal brain drives many different ways, but visual is one of the primary ways that it drives. So we're not necessarily trying to make ourselves look gross, right? We're not trying to add in stuff that's going to make us be like, oh, crap, I'm not, this sucks. Like, And we're kind of going into despair. But we do want our brain to be thinking, I will be old someday. I'm going to be old. I want to take care of that, that person. And either A, some people may say, maybe I don't want to look like that. Or B, some people are just going to look without any judgment and say, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of them before me. Got it. Got it. So you're, so you're create your lifestyle. I'm sorry, Melissa. I swear to God, I'm going to shut up. Um, <laughs> uh, so you're taking care like through your lifestyle to take care of the older you as though you would care for a senior citizen or whatever, because you love that person. And so it's, yes. it's actually in positive. I got it. Okay. Yes. You love your future self. We all love our future selves. We should be <laughs> loving our future selves. You you mentioned something um, before about, and I, I hope I don't slaughter this in my pronunciation. I don't think I will. But the reticular activation system. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned an example at one point um, about, in, in another interview, about how, you know, when we're thinking about something, we're off, we often see it. I remember being pregnant for the first time, and all of a sudden there were a million pregnant women in my community, and I thought, my kid will at least have some playmates, but I never, they were there before. I just never seen them. Right. So this whole process of training the brain is something I think a lot of us feel we have zero control over. And I know there's a lot of factors that play into that chase. And, and Meryl, Meryl has been really um, fastidious about emphasizing this during our friendship about how the choices that you make with your sleep and your food and your, your movement and, and so forth, really do determine how you will respond and react. But what about um, in this this reactivation, this reticular reactivation system or activation system, how do you get to a point where you are not on a loop? If you're someone who suffers from depression or neg- negative thoughts, how do you not get on a loop where that reticular activation system is just continuing the negative loop of what you see or hear? Is there, are there tricks to trick the mind with positivity? Is yes. it post-it notes? <laughs> yes. There's a whole lot of stuff that you can do. Uh, but first, if you're suffering from depression, uh, I'm not giving any medical advice here, but I, I say go get your neurotransmitters tested or, or figure out any anything that's really pushing somebody down where they feel like they can't get out of it. You, you Your first priority needs to be ruling out a physiological cause and then treating it as a psychological cause. And then once that's done, uh, just rewiring how you process data on a regular basis is is one of the most incredible things. And one of the best ways to do this is changing and gradually forcing yourself to bring things to conscious that are operating unconsciously. So I'm I'm digging all this up and I want it here on the table in front of me. I want to be able to see everything that's going on here. And one of the best ones is the questions that we're asking ourselves and somebody that is getting into a bad mood or something. They're like, why is it so shitty here today? Like, why is the weather so bad? Why is this traffic so awful? 
Why is the air quality so bad where I live? Why is, and they'll just keep asking these questions. And if you ask yourself questions, that's what your reticular formation is searching for. So we will search for what we ask about, but many times those questions are unconscious. We're not sitting there in the car verbally saying all of this stuff, right? So it's an unconscious question process. So changing the questions is a big deal. And just going through a day, carry around like a little pen and a, and a notebook and just writing down, like I've been asking myself this question all day. Why is this guy that I work with such a dick? We're like, well, now I'm just searching for, for reasons. For reasons. Right. Right. Well, I call that, that's very interesting that you say that in, in my, in my book, Healthy Living from the Inside Out, I talk about the, the, um, the noise, the brain noise, you know, that kind of like static. And, and if you were to invite your unconscious self over for dinner, you would probably throw them out within five minutes because they're so mean. They're super rude. They're incredibly negative and they put you down all the time. Like if that person were over at your house, you'd be like, uh, you need to leave. But that's usually, you know, this unconscious voice in the back of your head is you speaking to you. And, and even though you're, you're saying it in, in context of other things and other people, but, but oftentimes that's the voice that we have inside our heads that we're unconscious about that is constantly sending negative. So it's bringing light to that part of you so that you can say, Oh wait, I don't, need to say those negative things or I don't like you were saying I don't need to keep figuring out why I think the guy that I work with is a dick you know like looking for all those reasons it's like you, it makes you very clear on what you're spending your energy and time on in your thought process mm -hmm. right and yeah. how how do you how do you kind of biohack that how do you hack into that and like stop it is there a way? Well, uh, actually, uh, the, the proven research from a scientifically like peer-reviewed perspective is starting to show that magic mushrooms have the most powerful effects to be able to do that. Obviously, you can get involved with a clinical trial. There's a lot going on at Johns Hopkins even right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but secondary to that, in, from a behavioral perspective, I teach behavior profiling a lot and people reading and influence persuasion. Most of what you see someone uh, suffering in their lives is usually a result of two things. It's unmet expectations. So I think is the number one cause of a lot of that stuff. And second, I think a lot of us unknowingly suffer from hiding shame. We're mm -hmm. hiding shame from other people. Yes. And we're concealing something that we have been either conditioned as a child to be ashamed of, or we're, we're suppressing something because we, our fear is not of the, the thing we're ashamed of. Our fear is people are going to find out. Right. And then we have an identity level problem. So typically, uh, if I'm seeing somebody as a client, my number one priority, our first meeting is figure out where they are on Maslow's pyramid. So, if, if I got somebody that's struggling uh, down here towards the bottom for food or even social belonging, I can't like I can't teach this person to be self-actualized and meditate and eat right before these lower parts of the pyramid are handled. 
So anytime you're dealing with somebody like that, or you are somebody like that, take a look at Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Maybe we can overlay that over the screen or something. <laughs> but I'm trying to reach this top little part of the pyramid when I didn't handle this very well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there's some shame there that prevents us from doing some of that stuff. What, would you say that some of that comes from trauma, childhood trauma, maybe? Absolutely can. And trauma is relative. That, that severe trauma that someone had in childhood might be getting slapped in the face or something right. uh, that we would think is small, but it's relative. I've been in, I've been on nine deployments I know dudes who've been shot a few times and are just completely a-okay. I know another guy that I served with got in a car accident, airbag hit him in the face, and he's traumatized from an airbag. So you, you never know yeah. uh, what that means and what trauma actually means. Right. Uh, but it's important for us to go back and look at what we might have perceived or what our bodies might have perceived as some kind of trauma. It's interesting. Wow. Fascinating. Go ahead, Melissa. I see you poised with a question. Well, no, I'm just, I, <laughs> I know. I, I love it because there's, there's an author by the name of, of I always, my, my biggest uh, fear is always that I'm going to mispronounce something. So and I, and I don't know, <laughs> I'll have to dive into that later and figure out that I'm probably going to look to my mom. Gabor Mate, <laughs> I hope I said, gave him proper homage here. Gabor Mate has this quote in his book talking about chronic disease where he said, chronic disease, diseases are not interpretations of how of our oh excuse me is not are not interruptions to our lives but rather manifestations of how we live our lives and that's his whole approach about talking about uh, his his depression and his multiple sclerosis and i was thinking about that in relation to what you just said and i and also what i'd read about what you've written before in that we have more power over our lives than i think we realize and if if there, if what's happening in our life is a manifestation of how we've lived our life, we've, we gave up control at some point, right? Maybe as a child, maybe we felt children feel helpless oftentimes. Um, and we, so we gave up some control and either that carried forward. We were the child who delayed gratification or we weren't whatever took place in our lives that got us to where we are now. I think that the biggest takeaway for me and what you share chase is that we do have more control than we realize. And and whether it's getting clinical help and signing up for some trial study or it's, it's seeking um, therapeutic guidance, or if it's as simple as I, I jokingly, maybe tongue-in-cheek said it a while ago, putting up Post-it notes. But actually, as I said that, I realized I should clarify that. My husband has a whiteout board marker that he keeps near the mirror in every one of the bathrooms in the house. And every morning he posts on there, today's going to be a great day. I am believing, feeling, and knowing that I am powerful, whatever. He puts it on. And the children, when they were, our children are now young adults. When they were younger, they'd say, Papa's doing graffiti on the bathroom again. Because he would go in <laughs> and they were asleep. If my son had a basketball game or my daughter had a swim meet. And right, I believe I'm going to be doing, I'm going to do the best I can. And so our children reading it, even though they would go, oh, even reading it was still putting it into their psyche that day. So I yeah. know the power of that. And I think that's a small example of how we can do it. And I love the idea of being a butler to our future self. But this ability for us to take some control gives us a little bit of power back. It really does. I write my goals on the wall in my office right here in Sharpie. <laughs> wow. On, on the physical wall? 
Wow. Just on the wall. <laughs> I'm not telling my husband that. I mean, I can wipe <laughs> off the whiteout marker. <laughs> I like that. I like that. No, but it's it's also <laughs> owning that you that you want what you want, right? Or that you that your passion and your purpose is like solid. It's like saying, you know, doing it in a Sharpie, which I have in my hand. You know, you're saying, I'm not erasing this. I'm getting this. Although I love, I know Billy, her husband, who's an extraordinary man, who really does. He's such a believer in like creating an environment of positivity and good. And and I think that that really is like, that works for him and that works for his family. And I think we all kind of have to find our, our secret niche into the ways that support us to be our best selves, right? And that's very individual. Yeah. It's so interesting, but you're, it's fascinating what you do. I think on an individual level, uh, you, if I, let's just go through a hypothetical scenario. If I have a lottery ticket here, that's unscratched and I, you know, stick it in your Christmas stocking or something, you're going to be like, Oh, thanks. And like, not really be very concerned. But if you knew that lottery ticket had maybe a 90% chance of winning, you would crawl hands and knees across <laughs> broken glass to get it done. Right. And that's it. A person realizing that, that that change is possible, that's it. You will walk barefoot across broken glass to get it done, and you will do whatever it takes to get it done because a person finally believes. And I believe in this so much. I keep a jar of broken glass behind my desk to look at every day. So I believe it. Yeah. When when we are setting goals and we know that outcome, I am absolutely capable of getting that outcome or at a minimum getting close to that outcome. That's a broken glass goal. And we can start setting those and people need to realize they have a lot more control than they realize. I love hearing this because I do believe we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. And we haven't been raised to believe we have the power. It's not anybody's fault because that's how they were raised and they were raised, you know, and, and it goes down this line. But to really break the patterns of our of our family history or wherever they came from and whether they went through a depression or whatever and to realize we have tremendous power and especially here the brain is so extraordinary and we use such a little piece of it we don't even use the energy the percent of what we use in our brain is so small compared to the vastness and power of it. And I think that that's what's going to be extraordinary about the, the, you know, our future, all of all of us here's future and our children's future is that these things are going to unravel and the powers that we have, the powers of good. I always want to put that in there because like, you know, I want to be good. <laughs> I want like good grandkids, <laughs> you know, but I think that extraordinary things are going to happen. And, and it really is about belief. It's really about owning yourself and stepping into who you are and who you can be mm-hmm. and, and, and knowing what your passion and purpose is, is kind of, it, it's, it's extraordinary, but it's doable. People are just not given permission, I think. And I think what's extraordinary mm-hmm. about what you do is you, you're very, so Chase and I are, we have a project together. Chase, Bobby, and I have a project together and we're 
creating this thing about health and wellness and, and lifestyle. But what's great about what, how Chase kind of, uh, how you present it to your people, your, you know, your team of people and, and your followers is that you offer it up as something they're discovering. It's, it's within their power to find it out for themselves. You give them permission to take this on yes. and become their best self, not my, not Bobby and Marielle's best self or Melissa's or, you know, Chase's. It's their best self. And that's the key, I think, to finding one's success is finding that thing that sparks them, that is unique to them, right? And however yeah. you write your goals, but being specific and finding out, finding your power within within that. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think people, when they come to a big turning point and they make a big change in their life, they reach a point where they say, wow, isn't that cute that I thought I needed permission to do exactly. this? Exactly. Exactly. But the, the scariest, funniest part is, is that from zero to six, we're in, you know, that's when all our influence comes. Parents give us whatever, whatever. So of course you want permission <laughs> because you're still six, you know, you're still That's how like, you get it. Yeah. That's how you get what you want. Yeah. And then you yeah. get it and it is cute and damn it. You better run with it <laughs> with that cuteness. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the biggest points of discovery that people can make is what did I unknowingly agree to in childhood in terms of behavior that I've carried into adulthood? Yes. Like the way I view the world, what I'm allowed to do, like, do what everyone else is doing. Don't stand up. Don't make too much noise. That was great for an elementary school child. Right. It's not good for an adult or right. a grown up. And some of us carry that forward unknowingly that like we developed a program young and I'm just going to, it worked. It got me what I wanted. So it turned into a pattern. Yeah, that's exactly right. A lot of times, yeah, go ahead. And a lot of times it can be cultural, right? My husband is from Japan and the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. So when you think about the need, the requirement for that in Japan, because it's an island of I don't know how many million people, that if they had a bunch of nails sticking out, there'd be there it'd be chaos for them. So that this kind of mentality, cultural mentality of rote memorization, move with the flow, is a survival tactic. But knowing that you can break free from that, um, you know, it was one of the reasons that my husband was saying. You know, let the he he was he forced he really wanted our children to make up their own minds and be free, because in and he loves his parents, but the part of that raising was don't create waves, don't don't stick out, and so you sometimes don't know what you don't well not sometimes oftentimes don't get what you want. So I love this. I love everything that we're sharing, and I'm I'm I you you've talked before about uh, the Maximilian brain. And you alluded to it a little bit before, and you're talking about the animal brain and how how our brains work. And you you've spoken before about tricking the brain because it's a it's a system that we don't we don't take full advantage of. What like Mara was saying, and I there's you have you have so many books that are available to to purchase, and I would I want to encourage our listeners and our followers to really take advantage of the information and the depth of knowledge you have. It's, it's so fascinating. Um, I, I really pray that this is something people pursue more. Yeah. Today can be the day. <laughs> Today can be the day. That's awesome. 1% better than yesterday. Let's just keep moving. I love it. It's so good. Chase, this has been the fastest and best 
half hour we've had. I really have to say that. It, it, I mean, well, totally, you. I could talk, but you know this. I adore you. So we could talk to you forever. Um, and we will. We're going to have you back, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you so Anytime. much. Um, yes, uh, Chase, you're, you're, yeah, tell, us, on. tell us where we can kind of follow you, your show, your books, and maybe I'll be on a show one day. Uh, just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can just type Chase Hughes into Google and you'll find pretty much anything you need. Oh, well, there you go. That was easy. Everything. That was yeah. it. <laughs> totally. It's really great. Chase is an extraordinary human being who you really have to be in touch with. And, and I pray that you will get in touch with him because he is, he's, he's changing the way the world is thinking and, and changing the mindset to, to be better humans. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast today, Chase. And we will see you again My very pleasure. soon. Cool. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks, Absolutely. Mary. It's been an honor. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today on Outcomes the Sun. Uh, you can listen to our podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and on YouTube. And you can donate to the Mariel Hemingway Foundation at themarielhemingwayfoundation.org. And I want to spell Hemingway for you, H-E-M-I-N-G-W-A-Y.org. I only say that because a lot of people put two M's. And that just won't work. Um, also on, if you're watching on YouTube, you can go to the donate button at the bottom and it will take you right to a link with a QR code. And, uh, if you go to marielhemingway.org, you can also press the donate button and be able to donate to the foundation, which is designed to help guide people towards finding the right solutions for their mental health issues. Um, that is my goal. I'm just trying to raise money so I can come up with an app and a website that has all the information you could possibly want to know about mental health and where to go. But we are in the process of making that happen. And your donation means so much to us. So thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.